And our scripture reading today comes from the book of John. First, John 1, 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then jumping down to verse 9 through 14. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's good to see you. Glad you're here to worship Jesus uh, with us this morning. We begin a new series today. Uh, We're going to begin exploring the gospel according to John. The gospel according to John. The theme of our series is short and simple. It's, It's simply this, Jesus is life. Jesus is life. Now let me show you where we're pulling that from in John so that you understand. We just don't like pull these things out of the air, make them up so it'll be a, a, a great series to preach or something like this. We want to anchor everything we do and say right in the text. So that idea, it's all through the gospel according to John, but especially here in John chapter 20, verse 31. I'll just back it up to verse 30, uh, where John writes this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, the signs that we have recorded, that I have recorded for you, these are written so that, here's his purpose statement for the entire book, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, your rescuing king, the Son of God, God himself, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The theme of all of John is simply that Jesus is life. All life is from him. So Jesus is life. John writes that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that in believing we would have life in his name. Uh, That idea of belief is much more than intellectual assent. And to be honest with you, something we discuss openly all the time is that intellectual assent plagues so many of us who have been Christians or have been in the church for most of our lifetime. We've just kind of come to this comfortable place of assuming that... um, agreeing that something is true is all that belief is. That's just not the case. Belief is a, uh, an embodiment, a, a grasping of, and an owning of uh, this all-encompassing, life-changing, and that's what John is going to talk about, the life-changing reality that Jesus is life. There's a, a, a character that's been made popular through an Apple TV series, if any of you have watched Ted Lasso. His name is Danny Rojas, and he loves to run around, and what does he say? Soccer is life, coach. Football is life. He's European. He doesn't say soccer. Shame on me. Football is life. 
And this character is just this very likable, lovable, because he's, he's enthusiastic, and he actually, his entire character is formed by that little ethos, football is life, and it drives his joy and his purpose. It governs his life, and that's what John is talking about. Jesus is life, a belief that Jesus is life, uh, governing uh, everything that we do and say and believe. So that's the purpose of John. The author of John, just kind of as a aside for those of you who love to get into these kinds of things, we won't go into a lot of detail, but full disclosure, if you're looking for a crystal clear statement in the gospel according to John, that John the apostle wrote it, you're just not going to find one. There's no clear statement that says, hey guys, this is John and I'm writing this for your benefit. Now you should read it, I encourage you to, and I don't, I don't think you're going to find that statement. There are many evidences within the book, though, that would suggest that John, the disciple, the apostle, is the one who wrote the book. And we'll see those as we study. But even more compelling is the, what we would call external evidence that going back to the earliest generations of the church, the earliest church fathers, unanimously agreed that John, the same guy who wrote Revelation and 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, that guy, the guy who was Jesus' disciple, remember his dad's name, Zebedee, and his brother, James, and do you remember their nickname? Sons of Thunder, right? And so without getting into John's bio a whole lot, because we will in the coming weeks, for me personally, I love to consider who John was as a man and why it makes his message that Jesus is life even more compelling. And here's what I mean. Now, he didn't write this, uh, this account until much later in the first century, so he would have been an old man when he wrote this. But as a younger man, he was well-educated, so he could have found his life in education. Some of us have been tempted to find our life in our educational accomplishments. He, had, yeah, he was educated. His pops was well-to-do. They, they owned their family fishing business. So as a young man, he wasn't just a, fisher, a fisherman. He was an entrepreneur, and he was probably managing other people. So as a young man, he was already a successful businessman. He could have found his life in business and his career. And then there's the whole nickname thing, guys. You only dream about having a nickname, Sons of Thunder. If it was yours, it would be tatted right here. Right? You want John's nickname. We don't know what he did to earn that. We can only imagine. You can only imagine. That's John, guys. He, found, he could have found life in career, in family. He was working with family, in finances, because he was probably f- far better off than most of his peers, in his education, in his reputation, son of thunder. But that man said that Jesus is life, meaning none of those other things are. And that's a helpful corrective for us to hear this morning, and it's helpful for us to understand that he wrote it as an older man, so he lived an entire full life. And from that, those experiences as a young man, and then from his seasoned wisdom as an older man, he, he, he says to us 2,000 years later, guys, you won't find life in any of those things. It's not there. Jesus alone is life. Okay? So that's the purpose of John, Jesus' life. That's a little bit about the person of John, the, the, the man who authored uh, this letter. And the big idea for this morning from John chapter 1 is simply this. Your story needs a new beginning and a better hero. Your story needs a new beginning and a better hero. And you're rightfully asking, John, where, where in the world, where, I've read John 1 a million times, where do you see that? 
Well, let's start in John 1, verse, mm, let's go to 10. And it says, he, so John's already speaking about Jesus. Jesus was in the world, and the world was made through him. Okay, so if you were in the world, you in the world? Yes, early Sunday morning, yes, you are. Maybe not the world you want to be in, you're in the world. So it means Jesus made you. He's your creator, okay? But look at the next statement. The world did not know him. That is a collective statement that John will unpack all through his gospel that he would apply to any human, any person that has ever been created in the image of God, uh, not knowing him. And that, that, that word knowing implies recognizing, not even being familiar with. So why do I need a new beginning? Why do I need a better hero? Because as an image bearer of God in my rebellion, I didn't even, don't even recognize the God who created me. And then in verse 11, it gets worse. It says, he, Jesus, came to his own and his own people did not what? Receive him. Now, John is speaking specifically of God's chosen people, the, the, the Jewish people who had been promised through generations that a rescuing king would come. And overwhelmingly, Jewish persons rejected that Jesus was the promised Messiah. Not all Jewish persons, but overwhelmingly. But again, John's not about picking on the Jewish people. He's writing from his own ex lived experiences in his own community. But that would apply to us as, as well. We, as image bearers of God, not only, not only did not recognize our creator in our rebellion, we have hearts that don't receive our creator um, in our rebellion. So why do you need a new beginning and a, new, and a better hero? Because in your rebellion, family, in my rebellion, we did not recognize the God who created us. And, and our hearts, even when there was some revelation, hey, I'm your creator and your rescuer, we rejected him. And even now, if you've believed and been adopted into the family, what two rebel tendencies do you still have in your heart? A tendency not to recognize the God who created you and rescued you daily, right? And a tendency to not receive him daily, if we're honest. Those rebel tendencies remained. And why is this so serious? Look at verse 4. This is so serious, guys. This is why you need a new beginning. Hero. Verse 4, in him was what? No life outside of Jesus. So in our inability, our failure, our choice to not recognize, not know, not receive, we don't know life. And the life was the light of men. So there is this existence in darkness. Darkness being uh, rebel. So... Uh, rebel acts that we have committed, right? We've been created to love God, love people, and if we're not living in submission to our Creator, we live, we love ourselves. And so we use people, we don't love God, we use people, and that's darkness, and it always results in darkness. And because we live in a rebel, broken world, the actions of other people who don't love God and don't love people cascade down upon us, and so this darkness wounds us as well. So we're not just wounded people, we are wounding people, right? All kinds of darkness. So if John were here this morning, um, I think he would agree with me and say, you know, it doesn't even matter if we talk about who wrote this book. I don't care if I get any credit for writing this. The more pressing matter this morning is simply that you see Jesus as the better hero and that you come to understand the news of the gospel, that you need a new beginning and a better hero. And you might be wondering, all right, John, what about this talk of a new beginning? Where's, where's that in John? Well, check, check this out. I love what John does here in verse 1. I'm just going to read the first couple of verses, even though we've already heard this, because I want to show you something. John writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. 
Now, if you had to go to one other place in all of Scripture for a similar reading, where would you go? Genesis 1. That's exactly what John is doing. Let's, let's hear Genesis 1 read out loud. In the beginning, God. Wait, wait, wait. In the beginning was the Word. Okay? John is very intentionally writing it this way. He's going to make an entire argument all through the book that this, this not an object, this person that he's referring to as the Word, soon we'll see that that person is Jesus, okay? And so he's very intentional in doing it this way for his audience. In the beginning was the word, and that word in the beginning was God. That's very intentional on John's part. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Guys, this is beautiful. In the beginning, God. Notice what was over the face of the deep. What is it? Darkness. And in, in Jesus is light and life, right? That's John's theme. So here in Genesis 1, we have this image of chaos and darkness. But a God hovering over that chaos and over that darkness and speaking order out of the chaos. Bringing, his word brings order out of the chaos and speaking speaking words that bring life and light where there was only darkness. And now we get John 1, and John wants us to feel the same thing. Here is a new beginning where there is chaos and brokenness in our rebel world, but there is a God who speaks order out of that chaos and brings light into our darkness. In the beginning was the Word. John wants us to think immediately about Genesis, the original beginning and a new beginning, right? Because his audience is living in a dark and broken world, and the only remedy, their only hope is that the same God that brought order out of chaos to begin with will once again bring order out of chaos. So family, let me ask you, where is there chaos in your heart? Where is there chaos in your life? Where is there darkness where there should be light? You need a new beginning. And you need a better hero in the beginning. In the beginning was the word. Uh, the Greek word for word. Anybody know it? Logos. Not a word we use at all. But for his original audience, this word would have been as common as the expression good luck or I wish you well, or I love this one. We always, we send people our prayers, but we also send people our what? Our thoughts, because that's powerful. That'll accomplish so much. Right? Send, I send you my thoughts and my prayers. It's a cultural well-wish though, right? Let's not, it, it is, people who say that generally have pure motives and are being kind, so I'm not making fun of them. Um, but we attribute something to our thoughts that probably don't belong, right? There's not really that power. We can't, we can't send them somewhere to accomplish something. But guys, the early Greeks had this view of logos that was pretty similar to that. Without making light of it, we could almost invoke, uh, for you Star Wars fans, a little George Lucas, like, may the force be with you. And I'm not kidding. Um, the Stoics and the philosophers in the Greek culture believed that this logos was uh, not personal, okay, but impersonal force or essence of every rational being. It was a starting point, and it was like this organizing power that held everything together. It was godlike, impersonal, but godlike, okay? This, so a lot, a lot of cultural stuff going on with this word logos. 
And so John plays on that, not only pointing back to Genesis, but drawing people from the culture and saying, God, yeah, he, he's kind of agreeing with his culture at this moment, right? In the beginning was the word. Every Greek would have been like, I, I know, that's what we've been telling you. In the beginning was the word. But then John says that word, not only was he with God, he was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus is God is the claim that Jesus is making, that John is making. And John's stepping into the culture and saying, guys, this, you're all spiritual. You all believe that there is a power out there. Uh, I'm just here to tell you um, there is a true and better logos that you don't know about that is far better than your imagination has led you to believe. And his name is Jesus. Everything was made through him. Uh, not anything made that was made would come into existence apart from, from Jesus. And then we have these two beautiful words, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. So Jesus gives life to everything and everyone, and then this, this kind of accompanying idea that in this life, there is this, that Jesus is the light of men. And so we could imagine light as a number of things, beauty, uh, we can imagine light as truth. We can imagine light as justice. We can imagine light as life the way that God intended for it to be. Beautiful and just and joyful and purposeful and God-centered, not me-centered. All of these things are wrapped up in the idea of light. And so Jesus, as the origin and starting point all of life and all of light comes from him. All beauty is from Jesus, guys. Every moment that you ever felt joy is a gift from Jesus. Any justice that is in our broken world is a gift from Jesus. Light and life. And the John's beautiful claim, what does he say? The darkness has not overcome it. That's hopeful. That's very hopeful. Especially for those of us needing a new beginning. But I want to point this out. What does John say about overcoming, darkness overcoming? He's very specific, right? He says specifically, darkness has not overcome it. Overcome what? The word and the word's light and the word's life. But what's our very real lived experience? We feel very much overcome, don't we? The world in which we live feels very much overcome by darkness, not light, right? There is so much brokenness and so much pain, pain that so many of us have felt this week for many different reasons. Jesus may not be overcome, but I sure feel overcome. Jesus' light and life are, will never be overcome by darkness, but I sure feel like there have been seasons in my life that have been overcome by darkness, and because those seasons exist now, for reasons in my past, I feel like there are moments where that darkness overcomes me and owns me again. The consequences of choices that I have made in those seasons where I was not living to love God and to love people. And the brokenness remains. How many times have you thought to yourself, I would love to go back and do that all over again? Have you ever thought that? Okay, so now the next question, since we've all thought that. How many of you have been able to go back and do it all again? Ever. Never. We can't even go back. That second that just passed, you can't go back there. 
The, the, mo- the morning that you lived, you can't go back to. Yesterday, you can't go back to. The, the times that I'm most acutely aware of that desire to go back and do it all over again, and I have plenty of rebel stories in my past that wouldn't do you any good to hear this morning, but where I feel that most poignant, poignantly is as a father, when in anger, I respond a certain kind of way to my kids, my voice, my body posture, and immediately in their eyes and in their posture is this awareness that they have been absolutely crushed. And I know that that is a moment that I can never go back to and make right again. I can't go back. There aren't, I can't go back to a beginning that would make that right. I lack, I need a better hero. I lack the power to do that. I need a new beginning and I need a better hero. And guys, that's the reality that John wants to address for us. It is true that the light shines in the darkness and that the darkness has not overcome it. But it is our lived reality that we have spent much of our life in the darkness and that the darkness has overcome so much of our hearts. And it has cascaded from our lives into the lives of other people and the darkness in the lives of others has cascaded into our own lives. And so John paints this beautiful picture of justice and beauty and life and light and our hearts want that. I want to go back there. I want that for me right now. I want that for my family. I want that for the families of those who died in Afghanistan this week and are just crushed and grieving. But we can't go back. We can't make it right. We can't go back to the beginning where darkness had not overcome light. And so John's point is, family, you need a new beginning, but you also need a better hero because you can't make that new beginning come true. And that's where John introduces us to John. Two different guys, right? Two different guys. But in verse 6, here we go. John is going to introduce us to the better hero. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Uh, Just a quick aside, anybody named John in here, don't ever use that as a pickup line. Uh, Super whack and creepy, right? Like I would just coach my daughter up to like walk away from that guy. Like, hey, I'm John and God sent me to you. That's weird. That's just really weird. There was a man sent from God. I may have said that though once or twice in the past in my own life. (laughs) Still super weird. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, right, but came to bear witness about the light. So here's John, going to feature prominently in this chapter, but he is not here to talk about himself. We're going to see that here in a little bit. He is the voice saying, there there is a better hero, and you definitely need a new beginning. And here's the good news of the better hero, and here it is. Verse 9, the true light, which gives light to who? Who? Everyone. Why don't we say that out loud? Who does the true light give light to? everyone. Guys, that is really good news for you, because what did we read that's true of us in verse 10? We didn't even recognize our own creator. What did we read in verse 11? We don't receive our own creator. But yet, the good news of the gospel is, here is the true light who comes and he gives light to everyone. He's coming into the world. Guys, just let that sink in for a moment. The gospel is telling us, you need a new beginning. You're a rebel, and you have You have been wounded by so much darkness, and you have introduced so much darkness 
Darkness is pervasive in your life. You need a new beginning. You can't go back to the new beginning. You can't make it right enough, so you need a, a better hero. And every other religion, every other ethos would say, you, you be the hero. You fix the brokenness. You make it right. You go somewhere. You do something. And the good news of the gospel says the better hero is the one who comes into the world and comes to the very ones who reject him. He was coming into the world. And more good news in verse 12. Not only does he bring light to everyone, all who have rebelled, if they believe, receive this light. Not only does he bring this light, he brings a right to us in verse 12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, verse 13, nor the will of man, but of God. That's the first time in, in, in John that we're introduced to this idea of a new birth or being born again. There's the new beginning that you need. And this is the beauty of the gospel. Jesus is the better hero who was there in the beginning. He was in the place you desperately need to go to but can't. And the good news of the gospel is the better hero who was there in the beginning brings the beginning to those who can't get back there to make things right. That is the beauty of the gospel. Jesus brings the new beginning to you. And that new beginning is a birth. And there, a new birth where God, recognizing that we are dead in our rebellion, we're dead. There's a deadness to us. His light and His life brings this rebirth so that we can be born again to, to actually live and now to recognize our Creator and to receive Him. So the, the, the better hero comes towards us because we can't and won't go to Him. He brings light to us, which we can, we can see this. If we close our eyes and imagine this, this light opens our eyes. It gives us the ability to see truth and to, to recognize our Creator. So He gives us this light. Um, this light reintroduces beauty into our brokenness. It reintroduces justice into our injustice. This light is life-giving on every level. He brings us to life, this new birth, and now there are these gifts that flow out of being born again through the power of God. And the first gift is this. Uh, there are three. Um, I remember them this way. Presence, Papa, and pressure. Just humor me. I need all the help I can to remember things, okay? Pre uh, presence, um, Papa, and pressure. Pressure. Here's the presence. The Word became flesh. And see, so here's where John really kicks back on the, the Greek idea of the logos. Not an impersonal force. He's a person. Jesus, the Word, became a man, and he chose to dwell among us. There's presence. Guys, this is beautiful news. We talked about this last week because it was in our text last week, this idea of uh, dwelling among us, right? He pitched a tent. He built, as, as we would use in our community, he built his forever home among us, right? Can you imagine your idea of your forever home is where? On a lake, pristine. Some of you have your forever home downtown in a city. But however you imagine your forever home, it's, it's the ideal existence for you, isn't it? It's the perfect environment for your family. It's everything you could ever want forever home where did jesus build his forever home in the worst possible place next door to you i mean that's what he's saying right G 
That came out wrong, though. Next door to me. Next door to me. Jesus came into a world broken and gripped by darkness, and he built his forever home in a neighborhood of rebels, not only revealing to us who our God is, but also communicating to us, I'm your rescuer, and I'm here to stay. That's the idea here. Presence. I'm not going anywhere. You, you need a new beginning today, and you're going to need one again tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, and guess what? I'm staying here, and I am your better hero, and I'm going to prove it by staying here, and there's nothing that you can do that will cause me to, to, to list my forever home for sale. I am forever your neighbor. Actually, you're moving in with me because we're family now, and I'm never going anywhere. I am your new beginning. That's what that means. The presence dwelt among us. And because he chose to live among us, we see the Father's glory. Look at verse 16. John says, from his fullness, right? So from everything that Jesus is, his light and his life, we have all received what? Grace upon grace. So we have the presence of our creator and rescuer. And through his presence, we receive presence, if you will. That's what the word grace means, a gift day after day after day. So every day you need that new beginning, new gift from your creator. More life, more light, more beginning, more giving of himself. Grace upon grace. And I love this, verses 17 to 18. The law was given through Moses. That's a good thing, not a bad thing. Uh, the law shows us our need for rescue. But it can't rescue us. That's why John says grace and truth came from Jesus. So the law is good, but it shows us that we're condemned. Jesus comes and gives us more truth. Yeah, you need rescue, but he gives us the grace. He actually accomplishes the rescue. And then verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. But look at this, Jesus has made him known. And that word known is not intellectual, guys, though it is an awareness. It's relationship, okay? So Jesus brings his presence, and that second gift we get is Again, sorry, it's just my, my word from my memory. Our, our Papa, our Father. Jesus brings us into relationship to our Father. Something that we could never accomplish for ourselves. So he gives us his presence, gives us life, brings us back into relationship. He tells our dad's story. That's what it means that he has made him known. He tells us our dad's story. Because, look, before you knew your father's story, you thought you were writing your own story. You thought you had to write your own story. You thought you were the author of your story. And then Jesus shows up and says, no, let me, let me tell you my dad's story. And it's then that you realize, oh, no, th the story is already written. I exist in my dad's story. And it is beautiful and redemptive and hopeful and life-giving. And then pressure. Okay, so we got, a, we got presence. We got Papa, our father, and uh, pressure. What I mean by that is Jesus takes the pressure away, and the pressure that I'm talking about is this pressure that our culture is really good at placing on us, and religion, the church, is really good at placing on people, and that is you need to be a hero. You need to be better. You need to do better. Guys, there's this idea for people who live around us who are not yet Christians that Christianity is for better people. The gospel, the good news of the gospel is Christianity, Christianity is not for better people. Christianity is for people who have come to see and willing to acknowledge, I need a better hero, right? A better hero. It takes all the pressure off. I'm not going to read this entire paragraph, but what's going on from verse 19 to verse 28 is religious officials come. They want to question John. They're questioning who he is, and they're questioning his authority, right? So there's this question that's repeated over and over. Who are you? Who are you? Tell us about yourself. And then they question his authority because he's baptizing people. So clearly he's got to have some delegated authority from someone. 
And do you notice how John answers every question? Uh, they say, are you the Christ? Are you the promised one? John probably laughed at that. He's, no, absolutely not. I am not the better hero. Okay, fine. Are you Elijah? And for the Jewish community, there was a sense that the prophet Elijah would come back uh, before uh, God worked for the redemption in the future. And again, John's like, no, I'm not that guy either. All right, you're not the, you're not, uh, the Messiah. You're not the prophet. So, um, or you're not Elijah. You must be a prophet, the prophet. No, that's not me either. And so they want John to tell them more about himself. And what does he do? He's got nothing to say about himself. Nothing. In fact, look at this in verse 26. Here's John's kind of final answer. John says this. John answered them, listen, you want to know about me? You want to know about my baptism? I'm only baptizing people with water. But there's somebody among you. You don't know yet, but there's somebody among you. He comes after me. And listen, here's the bottom line. The strap of his sandal I am not worthy to untie. The strap of his sandal I am not worthy to untie. Guys, it's kind of a sobering self-assessment. You know who would untie straps of sandals for people at the dinner table? Or, you know, you're coming in off the dusty road, you're going to sit down for a meal. Your feet are nasty, so they're going to be cleaned. You know who cleans them with their bare hands and a, ru- a rag and some dirty water? A slave, a house servant, minimum wage, right? somebody who's not part of the family. What's John's self-assessment? How does he speak of himself? This is how he views himself. I don't even deserve to loosen the sandals of, off Jesus' feet. Right? I, I don't even deserve that. But, I have, but he has come to me. He's rescued me. He's bringing me into his family. I don't even deserve to take his shoes off and wipe his feet. But he's adopting me into his family uh, as a fully accepted son and brother. He's bringing me back to my father's side. Guys, as the gospel begins to reform us, it gradually takes all the pressure that we, we have placed on ourselves, culture has placed on ourselves, and religion places on us to be the true and better hero. Because the gospel is the best friend you can ever make, and it sits down and tells you, you can't. You're not. You need a new beginning. You can't, you're powerless to get back there. You're so broken. You're so gripped by darkness. You can't go back to the beginning. You need a better hero. You're not the hero. And so the gospel gives us the freedom just to be honest with ourselves and honest with people. I'm not that great. I'm not that great. But John says he exists to be the one to point others to the true and better hero. And guys, that is why we exist. We have been welcomed into the Father's family and shown grace upon grace. So we're sons, we're daughters, fully accepted, deeply loved, and forever kept. No pressure to be a hero because you belong to a family whose sole claim is we need a better hero because none of us are that one. We can't go back to the beginning that we need. Jesus is the true and better hero who brings the beginning to us. And then wrapping up, verse 29, John says, the next day, He saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then in verse 32, And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him. Did you see that? You know John is Jesus' cousin, right? You know that? And look at what he says here. 
He said, I myself did not, I didn't know these things about Jesus until the Spirit showed them to me, is what he's saying. He who sent me to baptize him with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So two more beautiful gifts here. The first one, behold the Lamb of God. Guys, when Jesus took on flesh and came into this broken world, he should have come in here like a lion. He should have come in here with like a lion looking to uh, vanquish his foe and execute justice. That's what we deserved for Jesus to come in like a lion. But he came in like a lamb. The logos came in humility and came in like a lamb. And rather than executing justice on me, the rebel who was consumed by darkness, Jesus, the logos, the true and better hero would go to the cross. A lamb serves as a substitute. So he would take the punishment, the judgment that I deserved. He didn't come in like a lion. He came in like a lamb. And to me, perhaps the most encouraging piece of this, where John, Jesus' own cousin, said, look, I, I, even I did not understand these things to be true about Jesus. Guys, that's really hopeful to me. It's so hopeful to me. It's a reminder, first of all, that God sent the Spirit to open my eyes so that I could see the beauty of who Jesus is as my rescuing King. I struggle every day now to live in the belief that Jesus is life and Jesus is light. And the Father says to me, Son, I know you're going to struggle, and so I'm going to send my Spirit. And the Spirit's role in your life every day will be to Remind your heart and to open your eyes and to open your ears to see that Jesus alone is your life and Jesus is your light. So maybe for some of you sitting here, you have never seen these things to be true of Jesus. Well, let's ask the Spirit to open your eyes to see this so that you can know life and know light, know beauty restored, know, know the beginning that your heart longs for is actually a person and not a place and that you can't get to this person or place, but that He gladly comes to you and gives you light and life. And family, for those of you who have already believed, remember we're, we're, we're family and we have a freedom to confess. So let me just confess on behalf of the family. Every day we struggle to remain in the belief that Jesus is our life, yeah? And that he is our light. We go a million other places into a million other things and we lose hope. So family... This morning, Grant's going to come back up. Let's just confess again. Let's thank God for His Spirit, and let's ask the Spirit to, again, today, open our eyes to see that Jesus is life, and to make our hearts believe, and to bring His light, to restore the brokenness, and to restore, uh, to, to crush the darkness with His light, to heal our own wounds and family. Let's pray this. Father, use Your light to heal the wounds that I have inflicted in the hearts of other people. We're not just wounded, guys. We're wounding people, too. But the darkness cannot overcome Jesus' light or life. So let's pray and ask him to work that good on our behalf.